The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game, the show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined this week by two fine co-hosts. Lauren Ash. And making his triumphant return to the show after his battle damage, Shane. Yes, battle damaged edition, Shane Kelly. I'm back. Oh. <laughs> it's the new collectible with a couple less teeth. That's right. <laughs> oh, God, Shane. I'm glad you're okay, Shane. That was really scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, are too. you okay? I am fine. I am. I'm in great shape. Uh, you know, for the listeners, it, Reagan, I think, mentioned on the show that I had a bike accident. Uh, I will caution all listeners uh, that uh, just because you can go really fast down that hill doesn't mean you should. Words to live by. Words to live by in your 30s. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, especially. Um, and uh, hugs to uh, our absent friend, Nate, who's uh, taking care of a sick kid. So, mm-hmm. hi, Nate. Hope you're hanging in there. Um, we, however, are here to talk about Citizen Sleeper. This is a game that, like, exploded on my timeline when it came out like all of the people that i follow who are you know game design nerds and and all of that have been talking about citizen sleeper basically constantly since it came out um and uh we're reason. a little yeah no very good reason we're a little late getting to it because it is one of those games that like it was sort of on the verge of what we usually cover it's a it's not super long um it's actually under 10 hours probably for most playthroughs but it just it's a little a little daunting at first because it is very text heavy so it was the sort of thing that we were a little worried about covering but i'm so glad we decided to take the time yes i was very afraid because all the the lovely people who were covering it were the ones who covered disco elysium so much and disco elysium is not short so i assumed citizen sleeper must be secretly 60 hours so i was thrilled to find out it's actually a short game and it was appropriate for the show it just took me a couple weeks to figure that out since everyone was talking about the lovely script and dense wordplay uh assumed it was long so happy it is not Yes. Yeah. And so this is a game that is out on all of the things. Um, so most notably, if you have Game Pass, it's on there. It launched on Game Pass, which wasn't expected from what I remember. Like I, I'd heard about this before it came out and I was kind of following it. But I think it was a surprise Game Pass release, something that always is a is a nice thing to see when it happens. You know, something that, you know, that you're looking forward to comes out day one. And hey, oh, it's and also it's on Game Pass. Same thing happened with the new Turtles game that we're covering next week. It was uh, not announced in advance to be a game pass game but when it launched it was there um but it's also on uh, pc on all the marketplaces or at least on steam i think and also on mac on on steam uh and it's on nintendo switch um so uh, citizen sleeper play it where you can <laughs> and it's from someone we've played a game with before so it's from jump over the age who is a single developer uh single sp- single person studio that's a way to mm-hmm. say that yeah it's it's made by gareth damian martin who created the game that we already played called in other waters that one was from all the way back in the distant past of 2020 
Um, <laughs> In Other Waters is a uh, well, that was a very tricky game to explain. Um, it was a game where you're an AI um, who is literally the like um, navigation system for a uh, spacesuit, which you know, it, there's some similar themes in both. Um, sort of. Sort of some but, sci-fi, you yeah, know, techno In Other Waters was like, elements. how abstracted can we possibly make a narrative video game? It was like, you know, played through something that seemed sort of like a, like a computer UI rather than feeling like a traditional first or third person kind of thing. Or like a and radar playing, screen. Yeah. 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 And you were playing as an AI embodying a suit not even playing yeah. as the person in the suit, and it's it was, a it's it an RPG played entirely in a fish finder is basically yeah. <laughs> yes that's basically, completely accurate yeah. yes yeah whereas uh, this is an RPG um, visual played, novel yeah I don't know even, even well okay how do we describe Citizen Sleeper I think visual novel is a good start because it is primarily a narrative game and it is uh, it is delivering a story almost entirely through text. Um, And it has the sort of visual novel presentation in terms of character art. So like you'll be talking to a character and you get a portrait for them. um, But we're not seeing like fully 3D anything. Oh, actually, that's a total lie. There's fully 3D space world thing. Yeah, yeah, the presentation of it is, uh, I think, actually very innovative. Um, it, It carries over some of the visual experimentation that he did in Other Waters, which was basically trying to make a game where everything was a um was a bit was was a kind of a clutter of symbols and interfaces and, and on interfaces interface. on interfaces yeah. um this really pairs that back uh but it is still very interface forward the presentation of the game is primarily a pretty gorgeous 3d model of the overall location of the game, which is a space station called the Eye. And the Eye has the classic space station hub and spoke design. Um, As you progress through the game, you're unlocking um, the ability to travel to more and more locations. And those locations are presented in uh, points of, as points of interest marked, you know, on this three-dimensional map. Um, and the way that you kind of move around on that map and the way that you explore it is all kind of point and click, but you do have some ability to kind of rotate and look at this gorgeous 3d model. Um, one of the wonderful things about it is a, um, you know, a kind of a unity of the design there. Whereas in other waters, like you really had nothing to go on, but the kind of symbology of the UI, this when you're looking at something that is meant to represent an apartment complex, there's a symbol to represent it as an apartment complex, but also it really just kind of looks like an apartment complex or, mm-hmm. uh, or a space farm. And or, there'll be some words that pop up that say apartment or something like it's a little bit more <laughs> willing to meet you halfway as a human being than uh, in other waters was not to, not to diss that game, which we liked quite a bit. Absolutely. Like, well, I, does, I don't know. It, it I didn't like it that much. Like a, <laughs> It's, oh, okay. I, I liked it. Well, it's funny it, to to me. This the difference from this was a tonal difference, and I I think in other waters 
Uh, it's funny to say in this game with a robot that it felt warmer, but I feel like despite all the sci-fi accoutrement, this game feels like a lot of the characters and like the mission and the drives and all that is really going through it. Whereas that one, it's an AI. It's a little colder. Like the graphics are colder and less welcoming. So that's, that's another point is that this is a, um, uh, one of the things that made me hesitant about covering this game was that based on its, story which sounds and we'll talk about the the you know the setup it, it sounds pretty bleak um and even just some of the things like the art um i, I was worried it was going to be a big bummer and there are bummers in this but this is overall i felt like a, a pretty hopeful story a pretty hopeful experience yeah. i say so, it's warm but not i wouldn't say it's it's not cute it's not fuzzy no. it's not gentle but it is uh there's well, there's people and you do make connections with people in this yeah, uh, weird, absolutely. desolate space station. And it is a story about the kind of struggle to forge an identity and like a place in the world. Um, and and that's just really, um, it's, a, it's a beautiful way of telling that story by having you kind of, uh, you know, meet all these, these cool characters, which by the way, the character art I thought was excellent. Really a good. really nice counterpoint to the fairly realistic 3D model is the slightly cartoony character designs that uh, you know nonetheless have all of the you know they're they're bristling with um, a chandelier of different sci-fi gadgetry you know every single one of them is is you know strapped to the gills with like tricorders and stuff. This but, is a world where if you walked around, you'd just be pointing at everyone being like, hey, cool iPod on your head. Yes. Hey, <laughs> nice but, glasses on your chest. Cool. But before we get too deep in this world, I want to give the one-liner of this game real quick. Yes, um, we, need, we need to set it up. Let's go back. So to, to rewind, we've talked about what it feels like. Uh, the tagline, the first sentence of this on the site is, Live the life of an escaped worker washed up on a lawless station at the edge of an interstellar society. Inspired by the flexibility and freedom of tabletop RPGs, explore the station, choose your friends, escape your past, and change your future. And another uh, sort of tagline I saw for this game that I really liked was role-playing in the wreckage of interstellar capitalism. I think Mm -hmm. if I'm remembering that phrasing. Do the work, get paid, survive is also on the site. So this is a story about – so you, you, uh, the citizen sleeper, the sleeper, uh, in this world, the sci-fi futuristic world, a sleeper is a person who has – and by the way, some of this is stuff that gets revealed. We're going to be pretty careful about spoilers here since this is a narrative game. Um, Some of this setup um, is right on the front. You know, you learn what a sleeper is to a large degree right up front, but there are Mm -hmm. some details about this that get revealed a little later in the game. I'm not revealing anything that's like plot – important um but at this point it might be a little hard for me to remember exactly when it taught you what subtle details about what a sleeper is for example so forgive me if i'm revealing something that isn't in the first 10 minutes i'm trying to stick to the beginning um so in this world a sleeper is a person who has been emulated as software this is a world where um true sentient ai is illegal uh we don't get a whole lot of backstory as to why but you can imagine and And yet remarkably common (laughs) And yet remarkably common. Um, And so one of the ways that big corporations get around this in order to get 
ro- uh, useful robotic workers to work in, it seems like mostly mines and other extremely dangerous situations, is by employing what they call sleepers, which is a person who goes into cryosleep and has their brain scanned. And that brain scan, which is and is not them, it is based on that that original person's brain, but it's an imperfect copy that lacks, for example, maybe intentionally some of their memories, um, is booted up in a robotic body. And so that person that is made from an emulated consciousness in a robotic body is referred to as a sleeper. Um, you are a sleeper, but you're an escaped sleeper. At the beginning of this game, you and a bunch of other sleepers got fed up with the terrible conditions on your, I think I got the, I think I remember it being like a mining asteroid or something. Like yeah, that. I think it depends on which character class you choose at the beginning. Oh, that may be but true. Yes. But it's yeah. not terribly important because, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of which one you choose, uh, the main effect of choosing the class is some of your starting um, stats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of to give you a little bit of an identity. Mm-hmm. But so, you basically are the survivor. Yeah. And you are on the spaceship and you're a bit of a renegade. There are people who distrust you. There are people hunting you. Uh, you are mostly, though, trying to survive. And to add another wrinkle, uh, you have to uh deal with the fact that your body is decaying because it's not your own. Uh there yeah. is a proprietary drug that keeps your body intact. Um Star Trek uh, DS9 fans will think of the Jim Hadar. You need something <laughs> but other folks online I've heard call it your insulin. Um you just need a drug to keep your I thought body of, alive. I thought of Jurassic Park and the lysine contingency. Exactly. <laughs> You're a velociraptor dying because she doesn't have enough lysine but in her system. You need an injection or your body will fall apart. So not right. only are you trying to keep enough food in your body to survive, but you also periodically will be falling apart. And oh, But uh, I also want to say, like, in the in the great transhumanist flavor of this, it's not just the sort of, like, I need a drug or my, you know, uh, my immune system will attack my transplanted organ kind of thing, although it's analogous to that. This being a sci-fi scenario and you being, an, you know, an, an emulated consciousness in a robot body, the, the stabilizer is about keeping your brain from rejecting the body that it's in because there is something very unnatural about for a human consciousness about living in a non-human body and they've made the sleeper's body as close to human as they can uh or as i guess as close as it made sense to do it under capitalism a <laughs> big theme um uh, but uh, so like you, you know, you have a sense of taste and a sense of touch, not because you need them in order to uh, perform for the corporation, but because if you don't have those sorts of things, you know, your, 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 your uh, brain will reject its body more quickly. This was some of my favorite early writing when they start describing um, the character's dreams and memories of, uh, of being human and kind of the comparison of not being able to feel the the drag of a fingerprint as you move your finger across a surface or the uh, muted or absent sense of taste and uh, and smell that you have. So uh, the the body being kind of less than and um, and and your your experience of the world being both diminished and, uh, expanded by the fact that you have this kind of mechanical 
body. I, I, I think the just the overall the writing is excellent. Yeah, mm. I also love that it's not only a ability and a disability, it's also planned obsolescence where the corporation has control over you because they control the drug keeping you stable. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you have to find ways to stay stable. And one of the things that I found a a little dizzying at the beginning of the game, just like I do every time I play a really complex board game, was, oh, all the dice, all the systems, all the counters. Uh, This game is very tabletop RPG based. And thus, uh, when you are hungry or you are less stable, you have fewer dice to roll. And you have Mm. basically fewer action points. And it's really uh, a very satisfying mechanic when you're doing well because you get more actions. And when good times are good, they are good, baby. And when they are bad, you are so frustrated. It's just so like expensive just to keep your body alive and working oh. in this game. Like, you, oh, yeah. you know, you need to be able to purchase food uh, basically every day or or after a couple of days, your body will start having problems. And you also have this sort of like condition meter that has to do with like the whether your body is you know, falling apart. And uh, that's what gets refilled by the stabilizer that you have to purchase and stabilizer is very expensive. Um, and so you have to do a lot of work to be able to afford it. Um, I immediately was like, who designed this robot to need to eat? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they have some great stuff where they go into that and about like whether, you know, the, you, um, there's some really uh, like all the sort of stuff is like, there's really good flavor text at various points in the game. Like there's a, for example, there's a character you get to meet called, uh, I think it's Essen or maybe you're misremembering who's like a chef mushroom man. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mushroom guy. And you, uh, you have to, uh, kind of do some quests to like advance your storyline with him. Uh, and, uh, uh, and you have some great conversations with him about your memories and food. And the, the sleeper does, a fair amount of thinking about like, well, why do I still need to eat? And like, what's happening with this food that I'm eating? And does having a sense of taste matter? Um, all that stuff is really interesting. Um, and it's just really, really interestingly handled. The, the, I mean, we've already said it, like there's only so many ways I could say like the writing here is good, but like everything this game has to say about the condition of being, uh, you know, a, a human mind in a machine body, um, like that's that's an idea that's been written almost to death in science fiction, and yet every now and then a work makes it interesting again, and this is one of those. Like this, it it, it has a lot to say about the nature of being, um, you know, surviving as this as this altered form of yourself. Is this a new person, etc.? Like it 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 has a lot. A, a, there's a lot going on here and it's it it, it was a page turner for me uh, in, in a in a virtual sense like i was i was constantly eager to see more of this story play out so laura you already mentioned the dice i want to like explain a little bit about how the the various different mechanics here work because i think it's really brilliant um the uh each day so the game happens in cycles or days on on the station. And each day, you have a certain number of action dice. It rolls them at the beginning of the day. And they're simple one through six pip dice. So you have, you know, you wake up in the morning and you have five dice maybe. And uh, and you've got, you know, a one, a three, a five, a six. 
Um, and then you can look at your map of the station that Shane was talking about earlier, and there'll be a bunch of little nodes across it representing different locations that might have something you could go and do there. Um, so for example, you could go down to the bar and work a shift. Or maybe there's multiple options in a place. So maybe you can, uh, at a particular bar, you might be able to work in the back of house or the front of house. And maybe those employ different skills. We'll talk about the skills in a minute. But basically, you know, the, the skills are modifiers that will uh, affect. So if you've got a, a strong skill at Intuit, uh, uh, you might have you know, an advantage on a on a action that uses that skill. Um, so you'd look at your available options across the station for things that you could do. They all come with a little bit of flavor text and a slot for you to stick one of those dice into. So you'd uh, choose a dice and stick it into that slot and perform that action and something will happen. Sometimes it's an immediate action. So you do something and something immediately happens. You get some flavor text. Maybe it just is a simple thing like you go and work in the shipyard and all that does is pay you some money. Um, but uh, sometimes you go and uh, uh, do an action and it is advancing a clock. So that's another important mechanic here. Um, it uses this motif of clocks that I believe comes from the RPG Blades yeah. in the Dark. Yeah, I can give you a little on that if you want. Yeah, please yeah. do. So Blades in the Dark, uh, I have not played Blades in the Dark, but it's been very influential in the RPG community. It was um, written by a guy named John Harper, who I think... Did you, I think, Reagan, at some point you might have played Lasers and Feelings? Uh, yeah, I, I, I've never played it. I read the book and right. I also read, uh, I read the Blades in the Dark book as well. It's really, really an interesting RPG book. I've never yeah, played it. Yeah, sure. Uh, same, yeah, same creator. Um, I think that clocks may be the um, most influential part of that uh, because it's just a very straightforward and repeatable and imitatable idea. You, uh, in the game, you you basically have anything that requires progress over time. Um, you have a progress clock, which is a circle divided into segments. You know, and you basically might take a circle and divide it into four little pie pieces, or six little pie pieces, or eight little pie pieces. And more complex things will often require more complex clocks, um, and they represent some kind of obstacle that has to be overcome. Now in Blades in the Dark, they're pretty much just something that um, uh, there's a lot of different kinds of them in Blades in the Dark. You could have uh, one that's representing your progress on some task that takes a lot of time to to do, uh, but it could also be something that's dangerous, that's you know an impending problem, um, and really it's just a way to show the players that something is progressing or is going to happen in the future. So uh, it's it's used in this game very much in the same way as in its origin. Um, and it's a brilliant piece of UI for RPGs because it really, you know, it it's there's there's very few things that are as um, interesting as knowing something's going to happen. And maybe even knowing when it's going to happen, but not knowing what is going to happen. There are there are moments in this game, for example, early on, there's someone who is uh, pursuing you, hunting you. And you you have a clock that's telling you that, you know, something, I think it's, it's labeled with a tiny bit of flavor text, something like the hunter. Uh, but like, what could that be? And 
you know, for many things, if you progress and fill a clock, you're unlocking something like a, a new area or new NPCs to interact with. Uh, so uh, it's it's just a a really cool way of showing that and helping you keep track of it over time. Um, I don't know if there's anything else I'm missing. There's something I think unique here that I haven't seen in other clock-based things. Um, the ones that uh, is some that are kind of repeating. Like uh, there's, for example, ships that will come and go into uh, the docks. And when the ships are present, you can interact with them buying and selling things or, or helping uh, you can get work there. Um, and uh, the 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 use of clocks there, I thought, was really simple and nice. Uh, like, yeah, it just shows the, you like how long the cl- the the ship is still going to be there, and then once it's gone, how long it's going to take before it returns. Mm-hmm. Uh, little stuff like that. But like, th- there are sort of the two types of clocks here: clocks that advance automatically every cycle versus clocks that you advance by taking actions. Um, and uh, it, yeah, it's just a really good piece of UI. It's like a really smart uh, adaptation of a good thing from tabletop. Um, the, uh, the other thing I didn't mention about the dice, which may or may not have been obvious is that, um, different, uh, tasks, you can apply any dice to any action in it for the most part, there's certain things that require certain dice, but mostly like you might have a, a, an action that might be labeled as, uh, safe or risky or dangerous. Um, and that kind of indicates like how difficult that action is going to be. And if it's a safe action and you don't really care too much about the results, maybe you could put that two that you rolled into it but if it's a risky action it's probably still okay to put the two into it but you'll get you get a different result than you would if you get if you put in the six um you get uh you get results that are either uh negative neutral or or positive i forgot i think it's called it just positive mm-hmm. um and that isn't to say that necessarily all of those are bad um like like negative, for example. So like you could be, let's say, for example, you're going to work in the shipyard. Um, that's just a really simple transactional action that you can take every turn. And um, if you go into the shipyard and you put you put down a six, well, then, first of all, you aren't you're, you're not only just going to get the maximum payout in terms of money, but maybe it'll also tick on a clock that's like you getting your journeyman engineer license or something like that. And if you're you know putting a six in there, probably it'll do like two ticks on that clock because you did really great work. Um, but if you only just care about getting a little bit of money, you can still go in there and put your, you know, your one into that slot and you'll still get some payout in terms of money. Um, in m- most cases, you know, something will happen. If you really want to know what's going to happen, uh, one of the things I like here is that this is a really simple dice system. You have, uh, you know, even the dice, it's a simple, simple dice. It's just the six sided dice, not your seven, you know, 20 sided dice like you have in D&D. Mm-hmm. Um, but the skills uh, often will have these uh, abilities that you get. So, for example, I put a point into intuition or into it um and it got me something called predictive reasoning which will then display potential positive and negative outcomes before you assign a die right mm-hmm. really useful great to know that like you know uh how much money you can get from uh you know or lose from a particular action when you put dice in things like that um and there's other ways you can you can tweak it. There's other skills like the engineering skill has a perk that you can get to get uh, random scrap items that you can sell or use in different ways. Every time you do an engineering task um, or 
you can give yourself photosynthetic skin to recover <laughs> um, energy anytime you um, are at your house. Stuff like the big that. One that really turned the corner on this game for me was the uh, was unlocking the option to reroll your dice, mm. which is super powerful. Um, so this game has like, and I think you know, very much by design, has a really tight economy you know you are broke at the beginning of this game and you are scrabble and you are you are in a new place where no one knows you and you are scrabbling for every credit or whatever they call them in this and you're deteriorating and the most expensive thing you can buy is your medicine right um super expensive just to live um you know talk about like a game about living with a disability under capitalism that's what this is about this is about like um just living is hard, painful, expensive, and complicated. Um, and uh, it starts off really, you feel that. Like, it really makes you feel that. And, um, like, to the point where, like, not too far into the game, I was completely broke. I had, like, three credits. I was starving, which incurs a uh, you know a, a negative penalty on you every turn or every, every uh, day. And my body was broken down. And when, you're, when your body completely deteriorates... Um, you lose access to one of your skills. Um, and uh, that had happened to me twice because if you mm. continue uh, to be broken, it'll keep breaking your skills. So, uh, and of course, because you're in bad shape, you get fewer dice. So I was like barely limping through the game for a while where I was starving to death and I could only get one die each day. And if I rolled a bad one, well, tough luck. And like, so there's practically nothing you could do really tough. Um, but that's actually, I think, totally intended for you to sort of face that level of like uh, adversity early in the game. It does really turn a corner. And the reason I was mentioning this with relation to the to the skill upgrades, the biggest, most most impactful one for me was the option to reroll the dice, because at that point, like, let's say you've got four dice and you've got, you know, a six and a uh, five and two twos. You can spend those first two dice, the like six and five first, and then re-roll, um, which means that you're getting much more use out of the dice. You're able to like use them much more effectively. Um, that's, I'd say like the most, if you're, if you're having trouble in the game, that's the most effective upgrade to grab early on. Mm. Um, and once I got that, uh, there, that also was followed very shortly after by some other changes that, for example, made the uh, uh, the stabilizer a little less expensive and open. And I opened up some new options for where to get money in a way that was a little more effective. And um, and things started sort of steamrolling from there. And by the end of the game, the economy doesn't feel nearly as harsh. Um, you know, you're not exactly drowning in credits, but you're uh, you're definitely not scrabbling for every vial of, of stabilizer by the end exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I also really appreciated that the low dice are able to be used in the other view of the spaceship. Oh, yes. And I'll leave it yeah. there. There is a secondary data view of the yeah. spaceship. I'm going to be pretty vague because it's it's early, but it's not terribly early. No, you're um, right. That's probably worth reserving as a spoilery thing. But it, it is interesting that the game gives you an alternate way to spend those yeah. useless die. One or two, like the dice that are normally bad, are very useful there. And I'm so happy it, it wasn't just a, oh, I have to spend this on something that's going to get me killed. <laughs> Bless. Yeah, it lets you start like realizing, oh, well, I could strategically use this. And it's it, yeah. that was very interesting. Yeah, um, totally agree on that. That that's kind of brilliant because uh, you know, 
this has this simple system of like, you know, six is the best and one is the worst. But having a way to kind of turn that on its head and, you know, maybe you do have that day where you have all low dice. But, you know, you got 10 bucks for a sandwich and you haven't uh, you haven't done any of the stuff on those uh, those nodes yet. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's pretty much always something that you can do. Um, And, uh, you know, that that's really that's really cool. And in fact, often it wasn't the you know, big dice that I was waiting on. You know, I would often always have something to do with my dice on those regular dice actions. It's the things that I think the key is it requires you to have a specific number, one through mm-hmm. six, for many of those. Um, and and often it is those ones and twos that I'm now waiting on, uh, hoping I have a day where I get a, a low dice roll. I want to touch on something that I think is one of the neatest things about this game. It does an amazing job of like tying um, these mechanics into, I think it's, 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 uh, it's themes about um, building community and, uh, and sort of living in, they call it the wreckage of, of interstellar capitalism. I think, you know, that living in the wreckage of capitalism is a, is a theme that, that might, uh, might resound for us more and more. Um, the, the thing that really brought this home for me was that like all in almost every case, the ways that you advance your situation are about building community, reaching out to the people around you. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's essentially, it's basically never about like gaining power or, you know, or, or like your, your options for leveling up, uh, are, are useful, but most of the ways that you improve your situation in the game are about learning about the people around you, building community, getting to know them. And, you know, like the more you get to know, for example, your, your doctor, then you'll, you'll open up some options to get the, uh, uh, the the stabilizer less expensively or if you uh you know you get uh some of the some of the longer storylines in the game uh they're uh about the about sort of getting to know the the communities in the place where you live the the i the, the space station has a really really interesting history um it began as a corporate base for refining metals right it's like a place where they would mine i think palladium and bring it here to be refined and shipped off to the rest of the galaxy and at some point this uh some point in the not too distant past um there was a workers uprising on this space station against the corporations where um the place is called Essen's Eye. There was like a uh, Essen was like a, a union leader who overthrew the corporate rule of this space station, um, and uh, but then since it has sort of fallen to factionalism. This is a, a sort of uh, overall story that was very familiar. For I mean, I have not played enough of um, of um, um, uh, Disco Elysium to comment on it here, but I I played enough of the beginning to 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 see this. Uh, re- sort of resonate from that story. I wonder how inspired by, or I don't, I don't know how the the development lines up here, but this sort of sense of this sort of post revolutionary, post utopianism. Um, so not not to get too spoilery about it, but there are uh, there are factions in this that have interesting histories. They uh, they play into the history of the station as a uh, as a corporate owned entity, but. Uh, it it is it's all about sort of showing people 
getting by, right? Like the 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 system that created this place has fallen apart. Um, but everybody is trying to create, you know, create new ways to live in this place, and they're not. It. it I don't. I don't want to spoil stuff too much here, but it, I think they did a really, really interesting job here of not just being like, um, you know, uh, cats versus dogs, capitalists versus anarchists, or something. It's got like a really interesting world going on here that feels very real, and all of the characters have their place in it. And I, I um, and as far as the 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 way this all ties into the the mechanics, it is always finding ways to like bring you into the different factions by giving you interesting characters to interact with mechanical reasons that you need to, or want to interact with them. Um, you know, maybe you, you, uh, you, you meet a new character who is, uh, has a interesting business proposition for you, but it requires that you become part of, or, or, you know, involve yourself in one of the factions and maybe the faction isn't what it seems to be on the surface, that kind of thing. Um, really interesting stuff. Um, and it and it all I think ties back into this idea of building communities. It's about finding your place in this new place, finding your place in your new body, finding you know. Can I talk for a second about drives? Yes, yes. please. Oh, we That's, didn't talk about those at all. Yeah. Um. So rather than having quests, as many of these kinds of games would, uh, this has drives, and a drive is basically a um. It's a desire. It's something that you might want to explore or experiment with or experience. And uh, the the fundamental drive is survive, right? And that's the one you start off with. But as you go, um, you know, you can you can select any of them. It works very much like a classic kind of quest system. You can choose one of them to be tracked. It'll be marked on your map for you to be easy, for you to be easily able to find it. Um, but as you complete them, um, you know, they lead to more, they lead to, you know, seeing new things. And each one of them is going to award you a single, uh, I think, are they experience point? What are they called? Upgrade points. Yes. Um, and so, you know, you have the opportunity to really dig around, but the thing is that these play very interestingly with those same clocks. So not all of these are things you'll necessarily have time to do, but some of them can be completed by um, not necessarily like finishing the quest. So, so for, for example, uh, there's a initial uh, drive to repay Dragos, who is a, the first character you meet. He is uh, uh, the, the guy who helps you out of the shipping container that you are kind of washed up in. Um, I immediately decided, nah, I'm not going to bother with this guy. I've got to worry about myself. I'm already falling apart. So I completed uh, that, that drive by, by leaving him to his own devices and, and not repaying him. And that in many cases, these things have just as interesting a story um, like by choosing almost by choosing not to interact with it as if you choose to interact with it. So it's very, very cool the way that the drives um, have multiple resolutions, even though they're often very simple kind of, you know, do X, Y, Z kind of quests. 
Yeah, I was really thrilled is a funny word to say, but I was thrilled when I failed my first drive. Um, I completed it in such a way that it was locked out and it was a really interesting result. So I think every game, just as an escape room lives and dies on what happens when you don't escape the room, I think this is also just as interesting. Like you want the fail state to be interesting. Yeah, I think something that this game does really well is like, and I think I've even seen the developer use this phrase somewhere, maybe I'm misremembering, is like failing forward. Mm. Like it's about... Um, you know, the, the, the game has, uh, lots of different ways that you can fail. Like, you know, like I was talking about earlier where I spent several days starving and dragging my ass around the space station, barely working. Um, that wasn't a game over. There's no fail state here. You are always going to continue moving forward. And the game accounts for, you know, those situations where you might not be able to, uh, you know, complete everything. So like Shane said, the uh, a lot of the times this sort of failure version of the quest resolution is just as interesting, maybe even more interesting than uh, than than succeeding. Um, another small example of that where I, I I think I missed out on something I was would have I've been excited about was there's there's a, a portion of the game where you have you have a tracker embedded in your body and um, there's a sort of a very long clock impending of a sort of um, uh, bounty hunter coming to you in fact there's, a, there's multiple bounty hunters that come after you over the course of this game but one of those bounty hunters uh, you know they're coming from a long way off so to speak Um and I uh, averted that by disabling my tracker just before he would have arrived. Ooh. And I was, I was kind of bummed, actually, because I was really oh, looking really? forward to seeing what would happen when that bounty hunter arrived. Um, <laughs> yeah, you you oh, should he, have. He's cool. He is cool. <laughs> oh, no, 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 I mean, he sucks. He, don't get me You're wrong. Talk, You're, talking totally You're talking about Ethan. You're talking about Ethan. I'm talking okay. about a second bounty hunter oh, okay. after Ethan. Shoot. Um, All right. Yeah. So, yeah, Ethan, Ethan does suck, but is also great. <laughs> Yeah. Um, does, fu- yeah, fuck that guy. Um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of great like great failure states, not failure state, n- non failure failure states uh, in this game. Just really interesting stuff happens if things go, you know, if, if the wheels come off. Yeah, the, the last thing I really wanted to throw out there about this is just how much I was enjoying the music. Um, this is this has. Uh, Music made by someone named Amos Roddy. I, I'm not familiar with them really, uh, except for the fact that they also did um, In Other Waters soundtrack, which I think was also really good. Mm-hmm. Um, if I remember correctly, but, that was like some Brian Eno shit, like pretty ambient. Yeah, this it, is too, it, actually, kind of. Very much so. So, this is, I would describe it as kind of, uh, well, it's instrumental, electronic, down tempo, ambient synth. Uh, you know, a kind of ambiance, ambient ambiance. No, uh, but but yeah, it's it, what it is. Is it, it's really excellent, um, kind of uh, chill electronic music, which is something that I I absolutely just. I mean, I play a lot of that. Like if I'm if I'm getting work done, like that's the kind of thing I'll often reach for, um, and it, it has a really uh, kind of cool. Um, resonance to it 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 has this sound that's like well of course this is what it sounds like when you're floating around in a space station yeah so um i i really liked it um i I, i'm probably gonna be uh streaming this uh soundtrack um 
every now and then for a while. It's going into rotation on my work playlist. For a game that one of its uh, taglines is you were meant to die. Like it's pretty chill for a lot of the game. <laughs> and I appreciate it. I think that's a good thing. Like, yeah, you can uh, you can uh, get an apartment. You can have you can adopt a cat. You can pet the cat. Oh, I didn't as far as I can tell, it provides no uh, no mechanical benefit to adopt and pet a cat other than the joy of adopting and petting a cat. But uh, like that life. kind of stuff is yeah. in here. And the music is a beautiful accompaniment to those pets. Yep. Uh, so I would recommend checking this game out. Uh, I, I would say, honestly, at this point, this is in my list for game of the year so far. This is uh, just on the strength mostly of the story. I think the story is really, really good. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that we, uh, being that we're not doing a full spoiler break on this one, um, you can't quite get into in the in great detail here, but I could say, check this game out. It's on Game Pass, so that's an easy way to grab it. If you have Game Pass, it's on PC and Xbox. Um, it's also on Steam and Mac, Steam, and it's on Nintendo Switch. And this would be fine on Switch. There's nothing technically, uh, you know, impressive, frame rate or whatever about this. Buy it on whatever you're going to be most comfortable playing a text-heavy game on. Um, I played it on the Steam Deck. It was perfect on there. Um, you can play it on whatever you've got hanging around. Um, any last thoughts on this? Oh, only that this one is really sparking my interest in getting a tabletop rpg game going um i've been yeah it's been a while uh, yeah it's been a long time for me um you know that i love playing online with y'all uh but i tabletop is the is the way to go and i don't know i've got i've got all these ideas i'm stealing uh right now i've been flipping back and forth between this game and the blades in the dark srd um Mm. and i'm probably going to continue to play fifth edition D and D, but I am stealing uh, a variety of mechanical ideas from, uh, from this and uh, the kind of simplified version of some of the blades in the dark mechanics that you see here and, and, and a few other things. So I, uh, I'm look, looking forward to it. I mean, I will say that the ticking clock counters, especially when they turn red is very much like a DM sitting behind the screen and you just hear dice falling Mm-hmm. And you go, okay, you can go into the next room. And then like, oh, h- how many turns has it been? And then you just hear a dice roll. Like it has that same <laughs> dread yeah, of like, dice keep rolling. And I don't know what's happening. Like that's what the yeah. counters feel like. And I want more games to take that feeling. Like give me a visible mechanic where the results are invisible. And I am hooked. Thank yeah, you. I, it's <laughs> It, it really does answer a big problem that tabletop, um, you know, game masters run into a lot, which is especially if you're talking about fifth edition D and D. This is a bit of a sidetrack, but it's very, very common for parties in D and D to want to take a, a short or long rest at literally every um, opportunity mm-hmm. um, mm, in order yeah. to refresh all of their you know um, spell slots and abilities and whatnot. Um, and having an on, an ominous, unexplained, uh, little pie chart that completes a little bit every time they try that, um, and just reminds them that other things happen in the world while you are getting a good night's sleep 
is um, <laughs> yeah. It, it's a really it's a really good thing to use in in your games if you're a, if you're a dungeon master or game master. That's awesome. Yeah, I will definitely recommend reading, even if you're not you know planning to play it. Read the uh, the Blades in the Dark source book. Um, it's great. It has a really good system. It also has a really, really weird world that it's based in. Um, totally different from anything in Citizen Sleeper, but it's got a really, really wild sort of um, steampunk, uh, like urban fantasy kind of thing. There's some really cool ideas in it. So I oh, um, yeah. highly recommend that, that book slash game. So it looks like we have a little bit of time left for what's making us happy this week. So I will throw it to Shane. It's been a little while. Shane, what's making you happy this week? I uh, probably would have gotten a lot farther in this game if it weren't for uh, the release of Poen P or Poin P or I read it Poin P. Probably Poin. Probably P O I N P Y. Uh, this is the new game from the creator of Downwell. Um, it's a iPhone-based platformer. There's a lot of really interesting things to say about this. I guess the first most notable thing is this is the first time I became aware that Netflix has a games uh, it's new. unit. This is one of the launch games for it, yeah. Yeah, um, and this is like them and Netflix and Devolver. So, like you know, I've got a Netflix account. Why not try it? This game pulled me in really hard, really fast. Just the the basics of the game are it's a kind of a, a, a flick to launch uh, vertical platformer, uh, kind of like Downwell in reverse. You know, if you played Downwell, you know, you're just using rocket boots or gun boots or whatever they are to uh, kind of bounce down an infinite well. Uh, well, in this, you're, you're bouncing up. Um, you're a tiny lizard or maybe dinosaur um, who carries a massive hammer and is collecting fruit to smash into juice to give juice to a large fire breathing beast that is pursuing you up the kind of many levels of this infinitely tall tower. And uh, it's just it, it, the aesthetically, the vibes are very like bubble bobble. Um, it's very, very cool. Uh, it kind of, very in a sort of an old school way the um the gameplay is really superb it's got a great little curve to it um and unlike downwell i really cruised through the whole thing kind of beating it to the kind of end screen um i never completed downwell uh point p i beat in less than two days wow Um, wild I, yeah. I did not get good at this game at all. I played a, a fair amount of it too, and I, I, I don't think I even got out of the first area. Like it's, it's hard. So good for you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's weird. This one really like lined up for me, and I mean the, it's it's weird that Netflix is doing this. Um, it's kind of, kind of odd to see like Netflix Point P in the App Store, and like okay, got to download it and put in my Netflix account. That's just, that was kind of unexpected, but, uh, you know, Hey, I was happy to have it. Yeah. And you know what? I think like, yeah, I, I, I have a Netflix account. It's, uh, worth a shot. And I'm glad to see that like, you know, hey, they, that, um, what's his name? Um, Moppin or whatever has a, uh, getting cashing a check from Netflix. Good for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad but, to say it's not only tie in games. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was what I was kind of concerned about was that they were just going to have like um, manifestly bad taste. Just a bunch of like, um, what, what's that chess show? Um, the Queen's Gambit. Queen's Gambit. I was I was just like, oh, we're just going to get a Queen's Gambit chess game. <laughs> and I think that actually is a thing that they did. But yep. but they also have uh, they also have some good, interesting stuff. And so also some just like uh, mobile ports of uh, of notable indie games. I think Spirit Fair got a mobile port did, um, yeah. that's part of the, the Netflix games label thing. So it's interesting to see. Um, I don't know where that's going to go from an industry standpoint. I don't think they haven't done a great job of putting it in my face. I only heard about it because of Twitter. Um, so I don't know, you know, how people are supposed to be discovering these things, but I could see that maybe making your Netflix account uh, or your subscription a little stickier if maybe you're in between shows, but you're still playing point P on your phone. Maybe it might give you some pause before hitting that cancel button on your account. So I don't know. Yeah, we'll I, I do not think point P is worth a monthly subscription, but if you already have Netflix, then it is definitely uh, something fun to check out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'll go Next, I guess. And I was just going to very briefly call out the fantasy novel series I have been reading. Um, A little while ago, I started very quickly devouring all of the books in the Earthsea series by Ursula K. Le Guin. Mm. Um, And uh, there's not that much to say about them, but they're really fun um, and interesting. And they're very nice. They're, you know, they're old school, like, um, like late 60s, early 70s fantasy, you know, Um, they've got like the, the first book, A Wizard of Earthsea is... Uh, it came out in 1968 and it, it, uh, but it feels, it doesn't feel that old. It doesn't feel like, like, you know, hot off the press is brand new. Like it has a little bit of that sort of like, um, you know, aftershocks of Tolkien kind of, kind of vibe. Um, but it is a, a pretty decent story. But the second book is a knockout. Um, the Tombs of Atuan, uh, which is, so the first book is very much just sort of like, Here's the story about how the greatest wizard of all time became the greatest wizard of all time. Um, and then the second book, The Tombs of Atuan, uh, the the perspective character is uh, a young girl who's taken away from her parents at like six um, to go live in a in an underground tomb and become the the high priestess or like assumed to be the reincarnated high priestess of like an uh, an ancient evil or dark power. Nice. Um, And uh, so it begins with just her life story of like growing up as a child in a world where you are nominally the, like the head priestess, but also you're essentially like an abused child. Um, And like, like they take away her name and everything and and she becomes this you know the reincarnate she becomes the the high priestess and you know it um and then uh uh halfway into the book in walks the wizard from the first uh novel to try and rob the the tomb and so it, it's it's a fascinating uh story like i thought i thought that second book was absolutely great um and it continued to be good the the third book was really good and Interestingly, it's a series of six books. Um, the first three were written sort of back to back, 68, 70, 72. And then there was a very long gap. And then the the, the next series of three books um, was, started in 1990. Um, so almost 20 years between the first trilogy of these books and the second. And um, the third, the, 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 I'm in the fourth book right now, and it returns to the perspective of that 
that girl Tanar from the the second book. Um, but this is decades later. She's you know she's moved on with her life, and it's uh, um, it's it's interesting to see the shift there because it feels a little bit like two generations of fantasy. Um, the first few books are very like rooted in that sort of like um, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin feels, it feels like she's sort of like looking at like the early Tolkien inspired fantasy stuff and trying to specifically find ways to tweak it. You know, what if, you know, why do all fantasy novels have to be about white people in a world based on medieval Europe? You know, Earthsea is different. Most of the characters are black and brown. Um, most, uh, the, the world is very different. It takes place in an archipelago of islands in an endless sea. Um, it, it's, you know, it's pretty different. Um, but it also isn't, you know, it's very old school fantasy. And then the, 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 the book I'm reading right now, the, the fourth book, it, it definitely like benefits from a couple more decades of fantasy. Um, so it's really, uh, really worth reading these things, I think. And they're quick reads. They're pretty short. Um, so I'm like, I said, in the two weeks I've read four, four of these things. So, um, uh, check them out. I would recommend them. That sounds awesome. I've only read uh, Left Hand of Darkness and one of her extremely experimental psychedelic novels. So I've had a very strange, um, I've read a couple other, I think, too, but they were in the Left Hand of Darkness vein. So I haven't read her pure, um, I think Wizard of Mercy is a little bit... um, more pure fantasy yeah. sci-fi. I've never than read the anything ones. else by her, so um, I'm interested to read Left Hand of Darkness, which I've heard is good. Um, but uh, yeah, it is. It's very good. It's a little uh, more clinical than I thought it was going to be, um, which is funny because I'd read the incredibly outlandish psychedelic one first. So I think she's just a genre bender, and that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, exciting to get to know another side of an author you think you know okay um my making me happy this week is an in-person thing for once i am it's not a book it's not a tv show it's not a movie although i'm still (laughs) consuming plenty of those um uh nighthawks cinema which is an indie cinema that is visible from my new apartment like it is i'm on a circle and it is on the other side of the circle um I'm hoping that's vague enough that no one comes and tracks me down. Please don't do that. Um, But Nighthawks has a uh, bar that does trivia on Tuesdays. And we went. And trivia, um, I have been to some good trivia in my time. And I've been to some god-awful bad trivia. And this was good trivia. And it made me so happy because I was really worried that I was going to go to some terrible movie-themed trivia where it was a lot of people who were snobbish and terrible and I was going to have no fun and it was going to be sad. But now there's a Tuesday night trivia. Um, Hmm. Things they had, they included a round of clips from uh, the theme was the beach and clips included clips from Mr. Bean's holiday old, some like it hot and Barb and star come to Vista Del Mar. (laughs) Like, yes. I mean, I didn't get all of them, but, um, were the clips hilarious? Yes. Um, Old is great. Yes. Um, I disagree. The, We've had this conversation the woman on the podcast who was and running, cannot have it again. The woman who was running it, someone saw the beginning of the clip and laughed. And she said, the best movie of last year. And I was like, oh, thank you for the hint. <laughs> I was like, this is old. <laughs> um, uh, 
all the pictures were like pictures from 2002 movies. Um, I, I don't know. Go it was back to the beach that makes you old. Yes. We need older. We need old too. Older. Um, <laughs> despite there being a round of uh, audio clips that was just clips from musicals that were flopped, uh, we still only got mid of the pack. There were two of us. A lot of teams had seven or, you know, six or seven people. Um, I think it's a really, I actually think a lot of people who go to it are honestly in the industry. <laughs> like, I feel like it's going to, like, going to a Brooklyn indie theater. I didn't realize, like, this was a Varsity League trivia. Um, because despite giving eight out of 10 in the flop musical round, someone else got 10. And I was like, sorry, someone else. I thought I was cool for getting the musical Mame, but someone else recognized Paint Your Wagon. <laughs> I was oh, like, God. okay. Someone's I can't believe so someone fun. beat you at that section of the, of the I, trivia, Laura. I, can't believe it. Well, again, there were two of us, and Justin just passed the paper. I also missed one really... I, I missed one that I should have gotten um, mm. because I just identified the composer and put the wrong musical down. So, um, anyway. Excuses, excuses. Trivia. Uh, we did very well for a two-person team, which is to say, like, f- five out of ten. <laughs> but we had a great time. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, glad you're settling into your new neighborhood and, and yeah. everything. I encourage you to find a, like, little place like that in your neighborhood, and they'll probably have something niche and cool for you to go to, too. So thank you listeners for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Uh, You can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net, which is where you'll find all of our stuff, including our contact form to contact us. You'll find a link to our Patreon, patreon.com slash theshortgame, which is the best way to support the show. Um, Speaking of our Patreon, every patron gets immediate access to our Discord, which is where we talk about the show. We talk about uh, upcoming games. uh, We, you know, talk about the steam sale that's going on right now for example uh all the sort of chatter about games and short games and life so come join us there it's a great time great place to hang out um and it's also a good place to suggest games for the show we uh play a lot of listener suggestions so uh join us there and and tell us what you think is good um let's see oh and of course if you back at the five dollar a month level i will send you some stickers uh so please do that uh let's see uh you can also find us on twitter at underscore short game and you can find me on twitter at reagan k that's r-a-y-g-a-n-k laura where can people find you you can find me on twitter at laura j nash and shane where can people find you you can find me on twitter at 8-bit shane and uh, listeners thanks once again for joining us on this episode of the short game